Everyone, it's David Bombal back with a very special guest, Ed. Tell me about yourself, man, and welcome. Happy to be here. Um, I, I run a YouTube channel, practicalnetworking.net. Uh, I do network engineering training, network security training. Uh, and today we're going to be talking deep about the SSL handshake and the TLS handshake and, and all the intricacies that goes on um, in the first few milliseconds between what your computer is doing when you browse to a website uh, and what the server is doing on the other side. Really looking forward to this. And I'll, I'll say this to everyone who's watching. Ed came highly, highly recommended by my Discord moderators. So Ed, you've got to perform today because you've been put on this pedestal. So no, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to come and show us this. I'd, I'd like to say this, Ed's got a course, which I'll link below where he goes into this stuff in even more crazy detail. <laughs> Now, just before we begin the video, Ed went into a lot of detail on this slide and a bunch of other stuff. Ed, we didn't cover everything, didn't we? So we'll perhaps have another one which we might call deep, deep TLS. This is a topic a lot of people have asked me about. Um, you know, let's go deep, Ed. So I'll give it over to you, take it away. Let's go deep into, you know, the the keys and the exchange, et cetera. Oh, for sure. Okay, well, let's, let's do it. What you're looking at is a lot. There's, there's a lot going on on this slide. Uh, but what this slide is showing you is, is the entire SSL handshake uh, between a client and a server. And what we're going to do is go through this kind of line by line, uh, slowly, one step at a time. And we're going to outline, you know, everything they send to each other, kind of in the middle. Uh, and, but also, uh, and this is the interesting part, is everything that they each know inside these boxes on the left and the right. As they share information with another, sometimes they'll be making calculations on those, that, those pieces of information. And I'm gonna outline both the calculations and what piece of information both the client and the server have uh, in these boxes on the left and right, respectively. The end goal will be to get down to these session keys. Now these session keys at the bottom, th those are what's actually going to secure the data in an SSL communication. And we're gonna talk through how those session keys are actually derived. So that's that's the end goal. And we're gonna step through this slowly, it won't be as chaotic as, as you see here on the screen. So like a normal person who doesn't understand this stuff, they just open up their browser, they go to Google or Facebook or whatever website, and they get that little padlock. And this is what's going on in the background to give us that pad padlock, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. This happens every time you go to a new website over HTTPS, uh, every time if you're using an SSL VPN, the same thing happens uh, in, in, within, in, in the background on the wire there. Great. Now, before we can really unpack all of this, we kind of have to start with a few prerequisites just to make sure we're kind of level setting and, and starting from the same page. Uh, now, all of this we can go into much more detail on, again, if, if you'd like, but as, as long as we at least understand this part, uh, we should be well suited to actually cover the handshake in great detail. So the prerequisites are, first, SSL and TLS have three goals. Uh, so that's confidentiality, integrity, and authentication. Uh, each of those is a is something that is done to data in order to do what's called protecting it, right? When we say we want to protect data or secure data, those are the three things that we, we want to do. So confidentiality is the idea of what I put on the wire. I only want the other side, the intended party, to be able to extract what I put on the wire. Integrity is uh, what I put on the wire. I don't want anybody to be able to change or modify or tamper with. Um, or at least if, if it does get modified, I want I want the other side to know that something happened to those packets and to discard those. Uh, and then finally, authentication is I want to make sure I know who the other side is. That's commonly referred to as, you know, the, the CIA of security. It's it's like the three most important things anytime you're talking about a secure communication protocol. Um, and TLS has that as a goal, but also so does IPsec, so does uh, SSH. Any secure communication protocol is going to require those three things. Cool. So each of those are provided by, by different cryptographic tools. Uh, confidentiality is provided via symmetric encryption. That's the idea of uh, I take something, a piece of data, I encrypt it with a particular algorithm and a particular key. And the only way to undo that is if you have the same algorithm uh, and the same key. So that's uh, the idea behind symmetric encryption. Same key on both sides, yeah. Same key on both sides, absolutely. And we're gonna talk about how those keys are derived shortly. We mentioned ma making sure data isn't changed in transit. Uh, that's provided via hashing, but technically via what's known as a MAC, a message authentication code. Um, and the simple definition of this is, is hashing in combination with a secret key. Uh, we can't just use simple hashing because anybody can do hashing. Uh, but if I hash data, in combination with a particular key, then I know only the other person who has that same key can redo that hash or verify that hash. So like symmetric key would I, be like DES or something, sorry to interrupt, and then like hashing would be absolutely. MD5 or SHA, is that right? 
A- absolutely correct. Yeah. So absolutely. So symmetric encryption, AES, DES, uh, RC4, uh, CHA-CHA-20, all those are symmetric encryption algorithms. And then hashing would be MD5, SHA, SHA-256, SHA-384, um, Poly-1305, another hashing algorithm. And for and anyone who's, who's worried about what you're saying now, you're going you're gonna to talk about what that is later, yeah? Sure, absolutely. And, and we can actually go back and, and, and look at these in a, in a bit more detail. Actually, I, I think that would be useful. So let me let me actually go go to that. So real quick, I want to... to, to pause and talk about integrity uh, and specifically why hashing by itself isn't necessarily enough. Uh, and this is often an, an overlooked point, but but I think it's worth worth picking out. So integrity is, is the idea of making sure what is put on the wire can't be changed. And that's done via hashing, but not just hashing. So the basic premise of, of hashing would be uh, somebody will, will put together some data, something on the wire, uh, and then run that data through some sort of hashing algorithm. That's going to result in a digest. Now, I, I have more videos on hashing. On, on my channel if you guys want to unpack that in more detail. But idea hashing is, is you put something into it and it spits out a digest, which is a, a representation of the original input. So if I have a message and I run it through a hashing algorithm, it's going to spit out a particular digest. Now, most people think what you do is then you then send the message and the digest across the wire. And the idea is the other side can recalculate the same digest, rather recalculate the hashing algorithm on the message and make sure that the digest match. That's how most people think that it works, but but there is there is a problem with that. Um, actually, David, see if you can tell me what what you think the problem might be if that's if that's what we actually did on the wire with SSL and TLS. So my understanding of hashing is like MD five. You take a piece of data, uh, whatever it is, you run it through MD five. It comes up with one hundred twenty eight bit value. If any of the data is changed, the hash changes. So yep. the whole idea is like if if you and I w- want to check that we've got the same data we check that the hashes are the same. The problem here is what happens if a hacker changes the data and puts a new hash on the data and then sends it to the receiving party. They will do take the, the manipulated data, hash it, and the hashes will be the same. Right. So yeah, the right. guy's just injected trash, yeah. Yeah. 100%, so you, so you nailed it, right? So if somebody captures the data on the wire, changes the data and recalculates a digest on the modified data and then forwards that along, at the end of the day, the receiving entity can calculate a hash again on the modified data, and the modified data digest is going to match the modified hash that was sent with the hacker. So you, you called it out uh, exactly. For people who are not sure, the important thing with hashing is any part of the original, if any part of the original data changes, the hash changes, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. So so the way we kind of solve this in, in the security world is, is by doing what's known as a message authentication code. So that's what, what I'm about to show you. The way it works is both parties need to have a secret key. Now we'll talk about how that secret key is established in a minute, but for now, for now, just understand a secret key magically exists on both sides and uh, only the intended recipients of the conversation have that key. Then the sender is going to cal- uh, calculate a hashing algorithm, or rather put through the hashing algorithm, both the key and the message. So this digest is a result of combining this key and this message. Then what is sent across the wire is both the message and the digest. Again, not the key. The key is never sent across the wire. The other side already has the same key and can combine the key and the message to calculate their own digest uh, and to make sure that the same digest, uh, rather to make sure that the message hasn't been changed in transit. The benefit there is the only person that could create either of these digests is whoever has this key. So if the person in the middle captures the message and changes the message, that person doesn't have the key and won't be able to create a digest based upon the modified message that the green user over here is going to accept. This is known as a message authentication code and a message authentication provides both integrity and authentication, meaning I know nothing was changed in transit and I know the only person that could have sent this message is whoever had the secret key, uh, meaning the blue user over here. This concept of combining the key plus the message is known as a message authentication code or a MAC. So there's a specific way of doing a MAC known as the HMAC, uh, and that's that's the kind of industry standard for how they combine a message with the key. So the reason we kind of went into integrity is, is just to show that there's many different layers to to all of this, right? It's easy to be to say like, oh, we'll use hashing to do integrity or we'll use symmetric encryption to do confidentiality, but, there, but it actually goes so much deeper than that. Uh, and, and hopefully we can unpack a lot of that depth in this video. So that's integrity. If we didn't go deep enough, let us know. Um, Ed's been very kind to say that he'll go as deep as we want. We'll, we'll see how far we get in this video. And if we don't get deep enough, then let us know we'll go even deeper. And Ed said he can even take us into the algorithms and other craziness. So please put in the comments below how deep you 
you want us to go if this is not deep enough. Sorry, Ed, carry on. Oh, no, by all means. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this content is from a, you know, a full eight hour course. We can go as deep, as deep as you guys are willing to go on this. This, this content right here that we just looked at, the whole first two modules of the course is actually on, on my YouTube channel for free. So feel free to check that out if you want to go deeper on, on the crypto side of things. Uh, but for us, we're going to jump back to the handshake. That's the goal of this video. Okay, so back to where we were before we kind of took a detour to talk about message authentication codes uh, and explain why hashing alone wasn't enough. We told you that using a Mac will provide both integrity on, and authentication on the data that you're securing. These two things require a key exchange because we need to get the same secret key on both sides of the wire. Uh, and the key exchange can be done using asymmetric encryption. You can use Diffie-Hellman or RSA to do that. But the problem is anybody can use RSA and Diffie-Hellman for a key exchange. Anybody with a Linux terminal can generate asymmetric keys. Uh, in fact, it only takes two commands on a Linux terminal. It's OpenSSL, GenRSA, and I've just now generated uh, a set of asymmetric keys, a set of RSA asymmetric keys. I can do it again as many times as I want. I can continually generate new asymmetric keys. What's RSA? Ah, great question. So RSA is, is one, of the, one of the premier, one of the most common asymmetric encryption algorithms. Uh, it's kind of the asymmetric encryption algorithm that everybody explains when they explain asymmetric encryption. Uh, but, but there's actually a lot more to asymmetric encryption than just RSA. Um, but it's, uh, it's an algorithm that you can use to create a set of what they call commutative keys. So I can create a public key and a private key. And what I encrypt with one can be decrypted with the other. What I encrypt with the other can be decrypted with the first. Uh, so you can go kind of in either direction. So Ed, is it important and can you explain like just briefly, what is um, private keys, public keys? And I know you've got a lot of content on your channel. And so if anyone doesn't understand it, you know, with this quick demo, they can go look at your, uh, your, your YouTube channel. Um, but what is a public key? What is a private key? And why do we care? Uh, a second ago, we made reference to symmetric encryption. We said that uh, to do confidentiality, you can use symmetric encryption, which is where I encrypt something with one key and you decrypt it with the other key. And uh, a very simplistic example of symmetric encryption would be honestly just multiplication, right? So if I start with start out with a value five, and I use multiplication with a secret value of say three, so five times three, that's going to give me fifteen. Fifteen is like the encrypted version of the five. Uh, and for you to undo that, you would use the the reverse algorithm, so division, and the same secret key three. So if you did fifteen divided by three, you would get back to five. But the uh, crucial point. Yeah, the, the crucial point there is, is we're both using three to both encrypt and decrypt the content. So the three is our key, yeah? Yeah, and three would be the key. And that, that would be an example of symmetric encryption. Uh, asymmetric encryption is, is a little different in the sense that you can't actually, um, you can't undo the work using, using the original key. To explain asymmetric encryption, I'm gonna use this analogy. Now, what we have here is, is the alphabet, uh, A through Z. Uh, and for simplicity's sake, we're gonna assume that we only know the, the lowercase alphabet, no, you know, no symbols, no numbers, no nothing. It's just the alphabet. So with symmetric encryption, I can take a word uh, and I can use a particular key. Uh, and in this case, the algorithm is going to be moving the letters forward this amount of times, the secret key amount of times, in this case, three. Uh, if I start at H and I go forward three times, that would end up at K. And then to undo that, I would start at K and go backwards three times, that would end up back at H. But notice three to go forward and three to go backwards, symmetric key. Uh, it's the same key on both sides. Now, asymmetric is a little bit different. With asymmetric encryption, I'm still going to use an encryption key, but I can only use go forward. So for instance, if I start at H and I'm using an encryption key of five, if I go forward five times, that would put me on M. That would be the encrypted, ver the encrypted version of the letter H. Uh, and I could do this with the rest of the letters uh, in the word as well. The difference is with asymmetric encryption, this math uh, involves what's called trapdoor functions, which means it's, it's functions that can only go in one direction. So even if I know five was used to go this direction, I can't simply go back. Now, a simple, a simple example of that is, is the remainder function or the modulus operation, right? If, for instance, David, if I ask you, what's the remainder when you divide 12 by five? I'll let you talk two, yeah? Two, right, absolutely. Um, let me ask you another one. What's the remainder if I Don't divide Don't ask me maths, 17... I, I'm bad at maths. <laughs> go on. <laughs> what if I do 17 by five? What's the remainder when you divide 17 by 5? Uh, what's well, a 2 again, isn't it? 2, absolutely. What if I said 22? What's the remainder when you do 22 by 5? Uh, 2, yeah. 2, right. So if you know that I'm doing something divided by 5 and the result is 2, is there a way for you to know explicitly what I started with? No, that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah, so in other words, right. I know what the remainder is, but I don't know what the original... 
like the tw- 22 Absolutely. by five is gives me four. Yeah. Four times five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Right. And so it's like, there's no way to really undo it. Like you could even know the results and even what I divided by, if you will, but the, it, an infinite amount of possibilities exist on the front end. So there's not a way to, to undo the, do the, the, the reverse of it, if you will. Uh, so if I encrypted with five, uh, now I'm, now I'm left with having to decrypt it. Right. But in this case, I'm going to use a different key. I'm going to use a key of 21. Now, the key of 21 is especially chosen. It's, it's actually somewhat mathematically linked to this key because we're using the alphabet as our numerical possible values, what we'll call it. So the idea is if I want to decrypt M, I'm going to use the decryption key of 21. But again, I can't go backwards because of asymmetric encryption. So instead, I'm actually going to go forward 21 spaces. And you'll see what that'll do is that'll have me loop back to the beginning, and then I'll end up back at H. You can actually count out, and that's 21 spaces to me back at H. And of course, I could do that for all the other letters as well. And in all cases, I'll end up back at uh, the, original, the original starting message, if you will. So that's an example of asymmetric encryption. Now, what RSA does in particular <clears throat> is it creates these two mathematically linked keys, but they're commutative in the sense that they can be used in either direction. I could easily have done encryption with 21 and decryption with 5. Uh, since there's 26 letters in our example, any two values that add up to 26 would work for this particular example. Now, every time I mention this in a course, some student always points out like, oh, what about 13? All right, I get it. You can break the analogy if you take it far enough. Uh, and so what RSA does is it takes, uh, this is actually showing it to you. Cool. Uh, what RSA does is it takes one of these keys and it calls it your public key. And it takes the other key and calls it your private key. Uh, and what you do with RSA specifically is you never share your private key, uh, but you give anybody your public key. And the idea is they can take that public key and encrypt something, but you're the only one that has the private key that can simply decrypt it. Uh, now, in the real world, it isn't as simple as, you know, do they add up to 26, of course, because um, then if you knew one key, you could you could extract the other one right away. But uh, that's that's a simplistic rundown of asymmetric encryption uh, and what you can do with RSA. Here I have two characters, uh, Pam and Jim, and, and what they're going to do is they're going to demonstrate how to do, use public and private keys for the purpose of encrypting. So, so sending something with confidentiality across the wire. Uh, now, since these are two different users, they each have to have their own asymmetric key pair. Uh, so Jim has these red keys, and then Pam has these uh, purple purple keys over here. Uh, and, and then all my slides, all the public keys are solid colors, and then all the correlating private keys are the same colors, but like kind of they're kind of. Uh, uh, X'd out in, in internally, whatever. So a little bit darker. So if Jim wants to send something securely to Pam, um, what Jim will do is he'll create a message, takes take Pam's public key, and then encrypt that message with Pam's public key. Uh, now the only key in the world that can decrypt this, that can turn this back into the original message, is whoever has the private key, which in theory is only Pam. So we're safe to put that on the wire, knowing that only Pam has the private key and only Pam can actually undo that operation to extract the original message. So this is how the public and private keys are used for uh, what they call confidentiality, making sure that no one else, only the intended recipient can see what was put on the wire. Yeah, so dumb question. Um, you sh- how, did, how did she get those keys? Is that that command that you typed in that Linux terminal? Yeah, the, is that right? She gener- she could gen- She types that command, she generates a public and private key and they somehow linked to some crazy maths or something. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, and we can actually, we can even do them. I, I have a video where I, sh- I show show the math, and we're welcome to do that together. If, if you no, really I think I'm, I think I'm a bit scared of maths, but like, um, <laughs> okay. let's ask the viewers if you want to if you want to see the the actual math. If you're American or maths, if you're from the UK, uh, have you got a link? Mm-hmm. Ed, uh, sorry, a video. Ed, is that we can link it below? Yeah. Yeah, I'll put I'll put a link in the description. I'll make right. sure uh, that right. that's in there. But you can actually see the math of both RSA and Diffie-Hellman. This is doing encryption with public and private keys, but but there's actually something else you can do with public and private keys. Uh, and that, actually, I'll show it to you, then I'll tell you what it is. So here's the something else. Let's say Pam now has a message that she wants to send to Jim, but let, let's just say for the sake of this message, Pam doesn't care who can read the message, but she does care that no one can change the message. She wants to make sure that no one can change this message, that only that, that Jim knows it was definitely Pam that sent it and no one can change it. What Pam can do uh, is what she can do is encrypt that message with her private key. Now, the only key in the world that can decrypt this message into the original value is the public key, which Jim has, but of course, so does everybody else in the world. Everybody has her public key. 
If Jim is able to decrypt something with Pam's public key to extract something that looks like a message and isn't just random jarbled data or whatever the case, this proves to Jim that Pam, or rather only whoever had the private key, could have encrypted that message. And therefore, the message was definitely sent from Pam, that gives us authentication, uh, and it wasn't modified in, chain, in transit, and that gives us integrity. So just to summarize, I wanna send something to you that only you can read, I would encrypt it with your public key. Right. If you want to send something to me that only I can read, you would encrypt it with my public key. You Correct. know my Absolutely. public key because it's public. That's the name. Everyone has that. So you have that key. So you would encrypt Absolutely. it with my public key. And I'm the only one with my private key. So I'm the only one that can decrypt it. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. If you Let's say you want, to, I, you want to send me something and I need to know that it came from you and not someone else. You would encrypt yep. it with your private key. Yeah. And I would decrypt Correct. it with your public key because I, once again, have your public key, but you're the only one who has your private key. So I know it has to come have come from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that process, what we just outlined, what you just uh, reviewed, is what's known as signatures. Now, I'll do a quick little caveat. It doesn't work exactly as we just described it uh, because, of, because of the way asymmetric, and work, asymmetric encryption works. You can't asymmetrically encrypt any content. Uh, so what you'd first do is actually hash the content to kind of make it smaller, uh, easier to work with, and, and something in a, in a repeatable, more consistent size. But for, for now, insofar as just defining signatures, uh, th that's probably sufficient as, as an analogy. Okay, so where we've kind of picked up the slide that kind of started it all, SL has three goals, confidentiality, integrity, authentication. We need symmetric encryption in Mac for these two things. Uh, and to get the secret key that is required for those two things, we need to do a key exchange. And what authentication does is it proves that we're doing a key exchange with a person we mean to be doing the key exchange with. In fact, what a certificate is, it really all it does is it ties a particular set of asymmetric keys to an identity. That, that's all a certificate is. It's, it's some sort of certificate authority saying, hey, whoever owns this certificate is really, you know, blue.com or eddie.com or davidbomble.com or whatever the case. Uh, these are all concepts. Uh, but there are specific protocols you can use to actually do each of those things. So we mentioned some of them. Confidentiality could be triple DES, AES, DES, RC4. Integrity or specific hashing algorithms could be MD5, SHA1, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and authentication is done via certificates, and the key exchange can be done with RSA or Diffie-Hellman. What a cipher suite is and what, what a client and a server, what, when they're doing SSL with each other, they have to decide upon using a particular cipher suite. And a cipher suite is actually an explicit definition of the protocol we're going to use for key exchange, for instance, Diffie-Hellman, and the protocol we're going to use for authentication, for instance, RSA, and the protocol we're going to use for encryption, for instance, AES and hashing, et cetera, et cetera. So the cipher suite is actually how the client and the server are going to choose the specific protocols that are going to do all of these other concepts we've kind of highlighted. And with that in mind, we can now get into the actual SSL handshake. So I'm excited. Let's Let's do this. So let me uh, set the, the the scene, if you will. So here we have a client. I'm gonna refer to this as the client, but it isn't necessarily the user. It's, it's the software that's actually making the SSL request. Most of the time, this is gonna be the actual web browser. So Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Internet Explorer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you use an SSL VPN, then it's gonna be whatever you use as your SSL VPN client, whether it's Cisco, AnyConnect, or like NordVPN, or any of those slew. Uh, that's, that's all contained in a category of the client. On the other side, we have the server. And I think in my slides, I call the server blue.com. So if you hear me say blue.com, that's just the server that is hosting the website, blue.com. The server has a certificate proving the identity of blue.com. This certificate actually says, hey, whoever owns this blue key, or really the private key that correlates to this public key is really blue.com. Um, that's, that's the purpose of the certificate. And the certificate is signed by a certificate authority, which we haven't talked about, but that's the, the entity that, that gives out certificates, uh, just like you know your state or your government gives you a driver's license or an identification card. Same thing, the CA gives out these certificates. Now for these two to do SSL with each other, they're going to have to keep track of a lot of information uh, and exchange a lot of information. And I'm gonna outline all the information they have and know in these green and blue boxes on your screen. We are gonna step through it. And at the end, the goal is for us to have created the session keys which is the actual keys that are going to be encrypting and protecting the data on the wire. Uh, so those are essentially the keys. If I were trying to brute force a particular connection, it's the session keys that I'm trying to brute force. So those are the keys that are actually protecting everything. To begin, before anything was ever sent on the wire, the server already has some pieces of information. It has its certificate. It has its public key, which is actually inside the certificate. 
And of course it has its private key. So this happened before the client ever showed up. The server already has acquired its certificate. And now the first thing that happens is the client is going to send a client hello. Uh, this is the first message in a TLS session. It's, it's essentially how we start a TLS session. Inside this client hello are a few important pieces of information that we're going to highlight. First, you have the version number. In the version number field, SSL is going to tell you, or rather the client is going to indicate the highest version of SSL that the client supports. So as you know, there have been many different versions of SSL throughout the years. You've got TLS version 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, and the most modern 1.3. In this field of the client hello, the client is saying, hey, the highest version I support is, let's just say TLS 1.2. Then the client also includes a random number, this random number is 32 bytes of random data. Some implementations will actually include the, a, a timestamp in the first four bytes, but that's optional. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, we can just simply consider this as 32 bytes of random data. This random number will actually be used in the calculation that'll create the session keys uh, later on, but we'll get there. Then the client sends a session ID. We don't really need to go into that now. The session ID is involved in session resumption. Uh, for now, just assume this is a field uh, what this is going to be used is, is a, a value used to identify a particular set of session keys. And then finally, the, uh, the Cypher Suite list. So in this field, the client is providing a list of all the different ciphers that the client supports. The intent is for the server to pick from this list. Uh, this way, they're both doing what, they, what they're willing to do. The client's like, hey, I can do all this. And the server's like, cool, I want, I want this one. So that would be like triple uh, days or something as, a, as yep, an example. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you, we'll jump on a, right. on a packet capture in a minute and actually show you each of these fields. Cool. And then there's also some extensions. Uh, what we're going to be going through is what I'll, what I'll call like the basic kind of default version of SSL. Uh, there's lots of extensions that have been added to SSL over the years, uh, but we're not going to go into them in this set of slides. The client sends the client hello, which includes these pieces of information. In response, the server is going to send the server hello. Uh, and the server hello actually has the same the same five fields. It's, it's got a few more than that, but for now we'll just leave it to these five fields. Uh, in the version number from the server, it's the server's highest version of SSL. So if the client was like, hey, the highest I can do is TLS 1.2, and the server's like, hey, I can do TLS 1.3, they now both know that the highest mutually accepted version is TLS 1.2, and they'll continue with that version. It's the negotiation for always doing the most secure version that they can. Then the server sends a random number. And again, it's the same thing, 32 bytes, random number generated by the server. The server sends a session ID. Again, we're not going to talk too much about that. That has to do with session resumption. Uh, and then the cipher suites, the server picks from the list sent by the client, which cipher that it wants to do. And finally also includes some extensions. Those are the first two messages of the SSL handshake. And this happens every time you browse to a website that, that you know, you're browsing to with HTTPS or whatever. They do this client hello and server hello. At the end of the client and server hello, both the client and the server have acquired new pieces of information. First, they've both acquired the highest mutually supported of SSL um, that they both support. Then they've both acquired both random numbers, right? So it's two different random numbers, one generated by the client, one generated by the server, and both at this point have these random numbers. Now for the record, all of this is sent in clear text. So if there was a, you know, a bad guy on the wire listening in, they would also know everything that was sent you know, at this point. Everything is sent in clear text. Uh, the client and the server also know the, know the session ID they're going to use for this session, and then they also have a selected cipher suite. So that's the result of the first two messages in an SSL handshake. What I'm going to do now is jump onto Wireshark and actually show these to you. This way, it isn't just me telling you these things. So what you're looking at here is a particular packet capture of an SSL negotiation. Uh, that I that I did at some point in the past. In, in previous videos, actually, you, you've done some fun Wireshark foo with Chris Greer of, of Packet Pioneers, and those are some really fun videos. Uh, if you guys haven't checked those out, definitely do so. What I'm going to do to start is simply type in the TLS filter into the filter box, and that's just going to limit the packet capture to only showing me the TLS packets. Um, I could also have typed SSL. It, it also would have worked, but that's the deprecated version of, of TLS. In any case, what you see here is essentially the first two messages, the client and server hello, and then all the other messages that we haven't gotten to yet in the slides, but we will, I promise. What I want to draw your attention to is the client and the server hello. And so if we come down here, we've got the layer two header, layer three header, layer four header, right? This conversation is happening over TCP. And then in here is the actual SSL header, the TLS header in this case. And if we expand that, we can see that this was indeed a client hello. And then inside this client hello is all the pieces of information that we talked about. So there are five fields that we uh, unpacked in the client hello. Uh, the first one is right here. 
the highest version supported by the client. The client is telling us that it can do TLS 1.2. Then we have the random number. This is the actual random number sent by the client, and this is going to be used to generate session keys later on. Uh, then you have the session ID, which we kind of briefly looked over. Here we have the, the Cypher suites, and you'll see that 17 of them are sent. And if I expand this list, this is the actual protocols that are going to be doing the key exchange and authentication and symmetric encryption and all that. Uh, you can see AES-128 is a common encryption, AES-256 symmetric encryption. SHA and SHA-256, those are all hashing algorithms for uh, for use in HMAC. And then you've got Diffie-Hellman and you've got RSA for key exchange and, and authentication over there. And then the server is going to pick from this list, right? And we can actually look at the server solo in a minute to see which one that it picked. And then the last thing was the extensions. And you see down in here, these are all the extensions uh, included, which again, we're not going to unpack in, in, uh, in detail at this point, but we could in another session. It's interesting, right? Because there's so much that goes on in the first like second of you browsing to a website that uh, it's fun to kind of go through it and recognize like, wow, there's so much more to it than just a little padlock that appears. In any case, this, this is fun. I'm, I'm getting all excited and nerding out on this. So that's the client hello. And then the next thing sent over here by the server is the server hello. Now, if I go up to the top, you'll see that this, this one packet actually included a few pieces of information the server hello, which we're about to explore, but also the next two things in the conversation. Now, we haven't shown these to you in the slides yet. We're, we'll go back and show them to you, but you'll see that those, that's is like a foreshadowing of what's coming next. Uh, in any case, the thing that's interesting for us is the server hello. And if we expand this, we can see that inside the server hello was essentially the same fields. This is the highest version supported by the server, in this case, TLS 1.2, random number generated by the server. And again, this is different from the client random number. Uh, in fact, Look at the first four letters, 11AF. And if we go back to the client hello, you'll see the random number is completely different, 8377 or whatever the case. So two different random numbers. I want to make sure we highlight that. Uh, then you have the session ID, which again, session resumption. And then here you see the selected cipher suite that the server chose. So it's uh, RSA for both key exchange and authentication, AES-128 for encryption, technically AES-128-CBC for encryption, and then SHA-256 for hashing. CBC. CBC, that stands for uh, Cypher Block Chaining. Uh, it's a way of doing, well, again, depends how much detail you want to get into. Oh, just give, us, AES just give is, us a quick, quick overview. Sure. So AES is what they call a block cipher. Uh, what it does is it takes, if you have a message, it takes it and breaks it up into blocks, uh, and it encrypts one block based upon the ciphertext of the block prior. It essentially chains the ciphers from block to block. That way, if there's something that changes in the message uh, way early on, it changes the message all the way down, uh, and that's that's intentional to avoid what's what's called uh, it, rather that's intentional to avoid. If I send the same sentence twice, uh, in if you just did block encryption, the same sentence sent twice would look the same on the wire encrypted, and you can use that to do heuristics to figure out what that sentence might have been. But with with block chaining, the sentence here might be identical to the sentence down here. But since other stuff happened before and after either of those, they're going to look different on the wire. So that's one way of doing block encryption, uh, CBC. So question for the audience. Yeah. Um, as you can probably see, it is is holding back. There's a lot more. Um, let us know what you want to what you want to learn more. How how deep do you want Ed to go? Because uh, I'm kind of pulling him back about not going too too deep and scaring us all. Uh, let, let's move along, Ed. They they can give us I almost audience can give us you I know almost, put comments below. Let us know if we can if we need to go please. deeper. I almost pulled back to some slides for CBC because you asked, <laughs> but, but I was restrained uh, wisely so by by David. So cool. So that's that's the cipher that was selected by the client. So if we jump back to the client, you, we can actually find this guy in the list somewhere. So the client sent a bunch in the list, and the server is like, okay, of this list, this is the one that I want to do, uh, and let's continue using that guy. And of course, the client sends its extensions as well. That's the on-the-wire version of what we just did right here. Again, this is just the first two messages. So we have uh, a few more messages, I think nine total messages in, in the entire sequence. Any questions on this so far? Do you think this is... Uh... I think it's, the audience must just put questions below. You know, if there's things that you're not happy with, um, it, it'd be great if you could come back and like answer a bunch of questions or perhaps go deep, deep on like certain certain pieces that people are struggling with, but I'm keen to get through this. Uh, okay, so let's let's press on. The next thing that's going to be sent is going to be sent by the server, and it's going to be the actual certificate. Now, you saw this in the packet capture, but uh, as you can guess, in the certificate message, the server is going to be sending the actual certificate. Now, it's, it's sending more than just the certificate. It's sending the full certificate chains. Um, the idea there is it's, it's the certificate plus the certificate of whoever issued the certificate. So it's a series of certificates that go all the way back to whoever issued the certificate. Um, for now, all we need to know is this is where the certificate was sent. 
Like VeriSign. Now, notice yeah. In, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, exactly. VeriSign, yeah. Let's Encrypt, Digicert, uh, yeah. Komodo. There's, there's hundreds of CAs yeah. that can uh, generate those certs. Absolutely. So inside this certificate is a public key. And so after having received the certificate from the server, the client now acquires two new pieces of information. So the certificate itself, of course, and then the included public key of the server. Again, the client doesn't have public and private keys. In this case, it's just, just the server that has uh, public and private keys. So that's the certificate message. And then the next thing sent also by the server is the server hello done. The purpose of this message, nothing's actually included in this message, but there's different versions of the handshake, which involves the server sending more pieces of information. Uh, and so the client can infer that we're not doing those different versions because the server hello done followed the certificate message. So that's kind of saying, this is all the server is meaning to send. The next message is intended to come from the client. And so to show that to you, notice here in one packet on Wireshark, the server sent all three of those, uh, what's called records. The server hello, which we talked about, the certificate record, and then of course the server hello done. So this is the certificate record right here in Wireshark. And if you look inside of it, we can expand the certificate section. And this is actually telling you two certificates were included. Remember I told you the full chain was included. So if I expand both of those and the signed certificate section, and I look at the subject field in both of these right here, you can see that the first, uh, the, the subject of the first certificate was blue.com. Remember I told you the server was for, you know, a fictitious server that I invented for a website for blue.com. Then the certificate authority down in here was the orange CA, which again is something fictitious that I created for the sake of this course um, to kind of pick apart all the different things happening with SL. Uh, and then inside the server, hello done, the, the, notice the length, that header itself is really zero. It's just an indication that, hey, that's all I'm sending for now. The next thing that needs to be sent is going to be from the client. So that's the server hello done again to indicate nothing was sent at this time, nothing more. All right, the next message, and this is actually a very important message. Uh, the next message is sent by the client. It's called the client key exchange. In this message, the client is going to send a very important piece of information. And that piece of information is going to serve two purposes. First, we're going to use that piece of information to establish what's called keying material or a seed value. The idea there is asymmetric math is hard, right? It's harder than symmetric math, but we need to do asymmetric math to do a key exchange. And the idea is we're only going to do the key exchange once to create this seed value. And then from that seed value, we're going to generate a bunch of symmetric keys. The, the benefit to that is we can generate as many keys as we want very easily, but we only have to do the hard work, the asymmetric math once to do this key exchange. Um, that's the idea behind that. Uh, and then the other goal of this message is to prove that the server is the true owner of the certificate. Now remember, certificates are public public knowledge, right? If I go to google.com, I have Google's certificate. If I go to bing.com, microsoft.com, I have you know Microsoft's certificates. So anybody can get anybody's certificate. I could very easily get Google's certificate and send it to you and be like, hey, look, David, I'm Google. I'm, I'm the actual Google, check it out. And you'll get Google's certificate, you'll get Google's public key, but there's something else you need to do to make sure that I am the true owner of that certificate, which in Google's case, I'm clearly not. Um, but that's, that's what's going to happen with this client key exchange. Both of these things are gonna be done with this really special value known as the pre-master secret. So let's talk about how that's put together. Now, I'll quickly throw this disclaimer. We're about to show you how the pre-master secret exchange using RSA as a key exchange. There's another type of key exchange, Diffie-Hellman, which does it a little bit different, but it's still going to produce this value, a value known as the pre-master secret, which will be used for these two things. Uh, so a quick little caveat, we're doing RSA. And that tends to be cool. the most common, is that right? It, it is for now. So TLS 1, it is considered the less secure of the two options. Uh, TLS 1.3 actually does away with RSA as a key exchange. So it is for now probably the most common still. I'd have to actually look at the stats, but it's only a matter of time before Diffie-Hellman takes over uh, and becomes much more common. So it is also more, more secure to do with Diffie-Hellman. And we can we can explore the intricacies of why uh, after, <laughs> after we, deeper we get deeper, through yeah. the same well, let, let's, yeah, exactly. We'll start with one, yeah. Okay, cool. So client key exchange, pre-master secret. Okay, sweet. So the way RSA does this pre-master secret is the client is going to randomly generate a pre-master secret. The pre-master secret is, is 48 total bytes. Some implementations will encode the TLS version in the first two bytes. That's optional. It doesn't have to happen. Uh, so for us, we'll just say the client is going to randomly generate 48 bytes. Now, obviously, the client knows what it just randomly generated. So we're going to add this to the list of things that the client has. But notice on the wire, it's uh, circled in red. That's an indication that this value is actually sent encrypted. 
and it's encrypted with the server's public key, which the client has because the client acquired the server's certificate, which included the public key earlier in the exchange. So as we unpacked earlier when we did public and private keys, the only person in the world that can take this encrypted value and extract the unencrypted pre-master secret would be whoever has the correlating private key, which luckily our server does. So our server is able to decrypt this value using the server private key. And now both parties have the exact same pre-master secret and it was shared securely. So on the wire, this is all that you could have captured, uh, but it doesn't mean anything to you unless you have that private key. Now that both parties have the pre-master secret, they're going to turn that pre-master secret into the master secret. Uh, and that master secret is what's going to actually generate the, the session keys. And so let's, let's talk about how that's done. First, we're gonna take the pre-master secret and turn it into the master secret. To do that, we're gonna take the pre-master secret and combine it with other values. Those other values are first the literal string master secret, like literally those letters. That's in in the RFC. If you look it up, it's literally combine it with those letters. Someone was and then someone was drinking something good when they came up with that RFC. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. And then you'll see the next. There's another place where the word is used again, and you'll see it's like, oh yeah, of course that that's what's used. <laughs> and then both random numbers that were exchanged in the client hello and the server hello. And again, all four of these are going to be combined with something like a hashing algorithm, and that's going to create a master secret. So the result of combining these creates a master secret. And if you look at kind of what both parties have, both parties have the random numbers, both parties know the RFC, right? If they're implementing SSL and TLS, hopefully they know the RFC, so they know that word. And both parties have the pre-master secret. Therefore, both parties are able to put together the master secret. Only whoever had the private key is able to do this because this was the value that started it all. And the only people that have the unencrypted version of the pre-master secret are the client and the server. Now the master secret is then what's actually turned into these session keys. And that's done by combining the master secret with a few other values. Those other values are again, literally the words key expansion. And then again, the client, the same client and server that we used before. So these four are we combined to create four keys. First, a client symmetric encryption key and a client HMAC key. And second, a server encryption key and a server HMAC key. Since both parties had all of these information, both parties are able to generate all four of these keys. And they're the identical keys because they all started with the exact same information. Now, here's the thing that's often overlooked with SSL. And I think this is super, super cool. You'll often see people say SSL will generate a secure tunnel, but it isn't that SSL generates a secure tunnel. SSL actually generates two secure tunnels. The way it works is the tunnels are unidirectional. Anything that the client wants to send insofar as application data or HTTP content or whatever it's trying to send through the SSL tunnel, the client is going to use this set of keys to encrypt and verify the integrity of that information. So essentially it's like sending that information through this tunnel. The server who also has an identical copy of those keys will use those keys to uh, de-encrypt and verify the integrity of. So, so it'll be secured with this set of keys and then unsecured with the exact same set of keys. But these set of, set of keys are protecting the data from what I'll call from left to right, client to server. On the other side, if the server is sending something to the client, the server is going to encrypt and secure the data using this set of keys, and the client will unsecure it using the exact same set of keys. The benefit there is let's just say that the client and the server send the same word to each other. Let's say they send the word Apple to each other. Well, since I'm using one set of keys from client to server on the wire, that's going to look different encrypted than when the server sends the same word encrypted with a different set of keys. So that's where the two tunnels come into place. That's the server and the client keys are different, yeah? Absolutely. But if you, let's say you're the server, you encrypt it with your server keys, I've got the client keys, I can decrypt your uh, encrypted data even though the keys are different, yeah? Uh, no, because these are symmetric keys. So I'm glad you asked that. So if I encrypt something with these keys, these are the only keys in the world that can decrypt it. Okay. But both parties have both sets of keys. Oh, I see. So, so you, encrypt, you encrypt it with right? a server key and then I decrypt it with a server key. Exactly. If you're the exactly. server and if I send it to you, I encrypted with a client key and you decrypted with the same client key because it's symmetric exactly. encryption. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I wasn't exactly. sure about 100%. that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you asked. The, the idea from a security standpoint of why that's there, if someone's trying to brute force keys, the, these are the keys they're trying to brute force. And so setting aside the difficulty of, of that, if someone does actually attain brute forcing one, sets of key, one set of keys, at best, they're only going to decrypt the content in one direction. So they're only going to get half the conversation. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. So the that's encryption that. key now, could be triple day, sorry, and then the HMAC could be SHA. That absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're using kind of a you know a, a fun little illustration for keys, but let's just say way back in the Cipher Suite section that we decided that we're going to use AES one twenty eight. Well, what that means is that for this encryption key, we needed one hundred twenty eight bits, and then for this encryption key, we needed another one hundred twenty eight bits to to create both those separate keys. And let's just say for hashing, we decided we're going to use SHA two fifty six for our HMAC, which the HMAC also requires the same key size as the hash digest. So I'll need two hundred fifty six bits for this key, and then another two hundred fifty six bits for this key. So in total, the result of combining these four things needs to get me uh, 128 plus 128 plus 256 plus 256. I believe that's 768 if I did the math right. 768 bits worth of keys. You might ask, how does combining these same four things produce 768 bits or however many bits I actually need of keys? Well, the answer is that these aren't combined in what's with a hashing algorithm necessarily. They're combined with something like a hashing algorithm. I'll explain that next. So this not only creates these keys, it, it also creates any additional keying material that might be needed. For instance, CBC ciphers need what's known as an IV or an initialization vector uh, to kind of kick off the process. And we, we can unpack that in more detail, but this is actually the combination of things that actually creates those IVs as well. But the reason these four things can create any amount of bits we need is that we're not using a hashing algorithm for these. We're using what's known as a PRF or a pseudo random function. Uh, PRF is sort of like a hashing algorithm, except the result is not, uh, rather it can create as many a digest length as long as you want. And so what happens is the client, the server, they know how many bits of keys they need because of the cipher suite, right? So they know they're doing AS128 and SHA-256. And what they do is they say, hey, we're gonna combine these four things using a PRF until we have generated 768 bits or however much they need. But just like a hashing algorithm, if you start with the exact four values, you're gonna end with the same sequence of, in this case, 768 bits. So this is how they know that they both end up on the same keys with the same starting point. That's something I was just thinking about. So they use master secret key expansion, client random, server random to come up with four pieces, four keys, yeah? Correct, four or more, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, a few a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I don't know, I'm not good at timelines, but uh, you did a video with, with Chris yeah. where you decrypted an SL handshake and yeah. where you you told the client to log the session keys to a particular file or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you use those session keys to apply them in Wireshark to decrypt the content of that SL handshake yeah. in the SL conversation. Well, what that session key, rather what that logging was doing was either logging these four or logging this and Wireshark was doing the, the calculation again or logging this value and Wireshark was doing this calculation again. One way or another, if you have any of these, anybody can redo the calculation to acquire the session keys that are actually going to protect and decrypt the data on the wire. So the pre-master um, so secret is what you really want to keep secret, really? Yeah. Correct, in any of these. If you have any of these, you can extract yeah. all the keys. Yeah, all the keys you're saying, you yeah. If we back up a quick second, this pre-master secret was shared on the wire, encrypted, using the server's public key. And the only reason the server was able to extract it is because the server had the private key. In the packet capture that I have, it's actually one of the packet captures we use in the lab, one of the labs for my course. Um, I actually give you the server private key so you can then decrypt it after the fact so that on the wire, you can see the pre-master secret, not the encrypted form, but the actual decrypted form. And then Wireshark can redo all this math again to generate the session keys and decrypt the content after the fact. Uh, and we're actually gonna do that in a minute, but we haven't finished the handshake quite yet. Uh, any questions so far, anything I need to unpack more? Yeah, I'm barely hanging on, but um, question for the audience, you know, how are you doing? If you're struggling with any piece of this, let us know, um, Ed, and then we'll get you back for more detail. For sure, I'd be happy to do it. So that's where we are in the slides. So this is kind of everything that's happened so far. Client hello, server hello, certificate, server hello done, client key exchange. Now to quickly show you that in the actual Wireshark capture, if we expand this box over here, this is the client key exchange um, right here. I just need and to ask you this, that. Ed, do you do live training as well? on this kind of stuff. So, uh, if, so if someone was like really I, struggling and they wanted to like have in-class or remote training, do you do that kind of thing? I totally would. I, I have in a while, actually I stopped doing live training since since COVID, but I'd be happy to, to pick that up, pick that back up for sure, or do live virtual virtual courses for sure. Yeah, because I think some people, you know, um, well, I mean, it's a question for everyone watching, you know, um, if, you, if you have like a group of you that want to do live training, then yeah, please, you know, ask Ed about it because, um, 
Yes, you know, sometimes it's nice to have an instructor, but in your class, in your your recorded course, you kind of work through this, don't you? And you have the mm-hmm. the PCAPs and stuff people can download, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Yep. And the course is much more much more methodical about what I introduce when and, and, and where. So we start way, way many layers back yeah. such that when we get to this part, there's less there's less kind of side tangents you have to do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also, I have a private discord for my students that, that, I, that I interact with as well. Okay, great. Um, th- this course and really this whole thing really started as a enterprise training effort. It was, uh, I used to work for a company in Texas, uh, Rackspace, and, and they had tasked me out to teach, teach their engineers to do SSL. And that's kind of how I dive deep into all this and, and created um, a lot of the, uh, at least learned a lot of the knowledge to teach them. And, and then since then, that was like seven years ago or eight years ago, um, more actually. But in any case, since then, I've, I've put together as a self-paced course that, that anybody can get to. So, um, Sorry, I took you on a tangent again. So now yeah. we're at Client Key oh, no Exchange. Yeah. yeah, okay, exactly. So we're at Client Key Exchange. Uh, and so this is the Client Key Exchange. And you'll notice inside the Client Key Exchange, there's your pre-master secret. Now, this is the encrypted pre-master secret. So anybody can take this value, this super long value, and you notice the dot, dot, dot at the end over here. Uh, anybody can take that and decrypt it with the private key associated to my server to extract the actual pre-master secret. And we're going to have Wireshark do this for us uh, in a few minutes. But first, we have to finish the handshake. The rest of the handshake, so the, the core of what I wanted to get to was how these session keys are derived. Uh, and, and at this point, we've done that. We've shown you the math and all the different values that go into how those session keys are derived. What I want to do next is quickly finish the handshake. So I'm gonna go a little bit faster for the rest just to kind of get, get to the end so we can go to actually playing with decrypting all this in Wireshark. So the rest of the handshake is really about two things. At this point, both parties have identical session keys, but they don't know that each other have the same keys. Uh, again, if I gave you a Google certificate, it was like, hey, I'm Google. I can send you Google certificate. I can send you a server hello done, and you can send this and then do all of this math. But you have no idea that I was able to do the same thing, right? If I was giving you a Google certificate, obviously I couldn't because I don't have Google's private key. So at this point in the handshake, they have to prove to each other that they have identical keys. And that's that's what happens in the rest of the handshake, essentially. And that's done using uh, two messages. First, the client sends the change cipher spec message that just says, I have everything I need to start speaking securely. Everything I send going forward is going to be encrypted. And then the client sends uh, the finished record. And inside the finished record is a very special piece of information, which I'm going to call the encrypted verification. And the way this is put together, I think is pretty clever. But what it's going to do is both prove that the client has the right keys, but also prove that nothing has been messed with insofar as the negotiation. So let me show you how that is put together. What happens is the client is going to calculate a hash of all the handshake records seen so far. And so if we pull back down our handshake, we've got uh, the client hello, one, server hello, two, three, four, five. Because um, again, we're talking about how to put together this. So this hasn't actually been sent just yet. So there's five records that have been sent so far. And the client is going to take all of these five and create a hash on the content of all of those of everything you'll see it on the wire. Now, the purpose of this, it's actually very clever. Remember in the first message, the client hello and the server hello, the client and the server sent uh, ciphers that they like and versions of SSL that they can support. Well, let's just say, you know, I'm a bad guy in the middle and I know I can't break TLS 1.3 or TLS 1.2, but I can break TLS 1.0. Well, what if I just take that client hello message and, just, and I change it and I say, hey, the highest you can support is TLS 1.0. That might trick the server into doing a worse version of SSL than they both mutually support. But doing this handshake hash essentially validates that the client and the server saw the same client and server hellos, preventing what's called downgrade attacks on this particular session. Client puts together this hash. The server is able to put together the exact same hash because the server, in theory, saw the exact same records. That hash is then combined with a few other values, master secret, client finished, and uh, of course, the, the, the handshake hash. And that creates verification data. And that verification data is encrypted with one of the sets of keys, in this case, the client session keys. That is what's actually sent across the wire. That's how this piece of information is sent. And so that's sent across the wire. And in theory, as long as the server has seen the exact same hash, seen the exact same records, has the same master secret, which the server only has if the server had the private key, puts together the same verification data, decrypts this content, and validates the exact same encrypted verification. So if this checks out, this proves to the server that the client must have had the correct uh, client session keys. My concern is the client still hasn't checked that the server is Google. Bingo, 100%. I'm so glad you, you pulled that out. So at this point, we've done it in one direction. The server knows that the client checks out, but nothing has nothing has actually been sent from the server yet for the client. And so that's what happens next. And it's noticed it's the exact same two messages, but this time sent from the server. And it's put together essentially the same way. 
The server is going to send the change cipher spec saying, hey, I've got everything needed to speak securely. The server puts together the finished message uh, and then the encrypted verification from the server's perspective is also put together the exact same way. It's gonna calculate a hash of all the handshake records seen so far. Uh, and again, this time, a few more records are involved because at this point in the conversation, we've added one more handshake record. And so we should see six of them, client hello, server hello, certificate done, server hello done, client key change and finished. So all those are hashed together. Now, the reason change cipher spec isn't included is those aren't handshake records. Records are, are the types of packet that SSL and TLS uses and change cipher spec is not a handshake record, so it's not included. In any case, the server at this point is able to put together the hash of all of this uh, in the same way combines that hash with a few pieces of information known only to the client server to create the verification data, encrypts the verification data with the server session keys. And then if that checks out, and then again, that's sent from server to client. And if the client is able to validate this information, this then tells the client that the server has the correct session keys and therefore had the master secret and therefore had the pre-master secret and therefore had the private key and therefore is indeed the true owner of that certificate. That's cool. As we pull back all the layers. And at this point, there's really nothing further to do other than actually send application data to each other, protecting that application data with the session keys derived for this particular session. I'm going I'm to have to watch this again, Ed. I know that's great. Yeah. I'll go through this again. Um, yeah, that, that's brilliant. So that's what you started with initially. That was the first slide. You said, this is what we're going to cover. And that's what we've done now, yeah? yeah absolutely. And, but hopefully you're going to show some right. Wireshark. Yeah. Okay. So Wireshark next. Okay, so we just walked through the handshake using the slides, and now I want to show them to you uh, using Wireshark. And what I want to do is show you the pieces that we talked about, but then also we'll go a step further and actually decrypt everything uh, because I happen to have the private key that was used on the server for this particular capture. So here you can again see the uh, the, the records going back and forth. You've got the, the, the client hello here, the server hello sent by the server, the certificate message, the server hello done, just as we unpacked in the slides. Uh, then you've got the client key exchange. This is the one where we showed you where the pre-master secret was. And then the change cipher spec. And then you've got this, uh, what's called the encrypted handshake message. Now, if we quickly go back to my slides, I didn't call it the encrypted handshake message. I called it the finished record. Remember, I told you everything sent after the change cipher spec is encrypted. So Wireshark, knowing that this is encrypted, doesn't actually know the content of what that is. It's actually the finished message, but it's encrypted at the moment. You'll see that change when I apply the private key shortly. Uh, and then here from the server, you've got the change cipher spec. And again, the encrypted handshake message once again. You'll see that change to the finished message once I apply the private key. All of these first four packets was the handshake. And then in here is the actual application data transfer. Now you'll see it's just two packets. It's a simple get request uh, and then a simple, simple web page being served by the server. Uh, and then afterwards, this is what actually terminates the session. If we unpack the uh, actual application data, you'll see that you and I, or even Wireshark, can't make any sense of this. Like this is the encrypted version of the website that is sent in this particular session. What I'm gonna do is I'm going to give Wireshark the private key that correlates to the public key that was used in this handshake. Wireshark will then be able to take that private key and apply it to this pre-master secret, this encrypted pre-master secret, and extract the actual pre-master secret from this encrypted version, and then recalculate the session keys the same way that I just explained would happen. So to do this, uh, now you did something similar with Chris earlier, uh, and so we're gonna do kind of the same thing. So I'm gonna go to protocol preferences in Wireshark uh, and then go to the RSA keys list. Uh, there's another way you could also go to it by going to the edit and preferences and protocol. So there's two different ways to, to get to the same, the same window. Uh, and from here, in fact, if I remember correctly, this is what you did with Chris is you went to this window, scrolled down to TLS down in here and then added the, the debug file, I believe over here or possibly down here, the, the pre-master secret file name. Uh, that's one way of doing it where you give Wireshark directly the pre-master secret. What we're gonna do is I'm gonna give Wireshark the RSA private key. So I'm gonna go in here, hit the plus button, uh, and then I'm going to scroll and find on my the private key. So that right there is the private key that is associated with this particular packet capture. Uh, and again, this would be the private key that the server, only the server has. And, and since this was my server, I obviously have the private key. Uh, I'll click open. Uh, and then before I click okay, I wanna draw your attention right over here to the right side of my screen. Notice how it says encrypted handshake message. That's gonna change very slightly, very shortly, when I actually hit okay on either this or the next box. And then the other thing is notice this application data is also going to change as well. So once I hit okay, Wireshark is gonna do the exact same math that we just talked about doing, 
uh, and therefore it's going to be able to determine that this is actually a finished message and not what was before the encrypted handshake verification, whatever it was called. Uh, and then come in here, you see something that looks much like much more like data that you and I would recognize. If I click this guy over here, uh, and then we go and actually look at the packet bytes, which are way down in here, this is still showing you the encrypted the encrypted content. Uh, what I can do now is I can actually tell Wireshark to follow the TLS stream, and you'll see Wireshark is able to actually extract this into you know something you and I can read. And you'll notice that it's a simple GET request from the client, and then the actual content of the server. It's just a, a random poem. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great to see the inner workings because, like you said in the beginning, all we see as a user is a padlock, and then we get the session. Yeah, and there's there's so much that goes into it. I mean, everything we just we spent probably the last hour and change discussing happens, you know, in in a few milliseconds every time you browse to a website. So there's two, just that understanding. There's two messages, and then the third message is actually encrypted straight away. So it's only like the two clients, hello server, hello, and then it's encrypted straight away. Correct. So. The, a part, we'll say a part of the third yeah. message is encrypted. So yeah. this client key exchange itself isn't encrypted. It includes a value that is encrypted, but the client key exchange itself isn't encrypted. Uh, but this third value, the finished record is indeed encrypted. Uh, it might be easier to see if we- And then after that, it's um, it's encrypted as well, yeah. Correct, yeah. after that, everything's encrypted. So in fact, if I remove, if I remove the private key, you'll see, you'll see this finished message. And this guy right here will go back to what it was before. Because uh, if I remove this guy, Wireshark won't know what the content is. And it's yeah. just like, hey, this is just something that is encrypted that I can't really tell the contents of. What's nice is Chris did the client key side and you've done the service, server side. So yours, right. your examples is, is, is different um, in that you've done, mm -hmm. you, you took the server private key. A lot, a lot of times in, in the wild, when, when, you're do, when you're operating with a, with a security device, like an IDS or an IPS or a web, web application firewall, what they'll do is they'll ask you to put your website's private key on the web application firewall or on the IDS. And what the IDS will do is exactly what we just did. Just like the server is able to recalculate the, the session keys, the IDS in the middle, if it has the server private key, will recalculate the exact same session keys and decrypt everything in line uh, passively without knowing about it. Um, that's only possible with RSA as a key exchange. It changes a bit with Diffie-Hellman, but it, but again, I don't know. We can get into that depth in another. Uh, in another yeah, I think another... we'll have to do we'll have to do another video. So um, tell tell us Ed on your course. Do you cover Diffie-Hellman? Do you cover like a lot more stuff than what we? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Than what we're doing here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We cover so we cover Diffie-Hellman. We cover the in, the interesting thing of, of Diffie-Hellman is what's known as as forward secrecy. So we explain. We explain what that is, and, and really, I show it to you. I, I show you a packet capture. In fact, this same packet capture, uh, but also done with a Diffie-Hellman key exchange. And I show you how, even with a with, with a dip, rather, I show you how with a Diffie-Hellman key exchange. Even if I give you the private key of the server, you still can't decrypt the content. That's because of a property known as forward secrecy, or if you've worked in the VPN days, uh, uh, PFS, per perfect forward secrecy. Uh, those are essentially the same thing, but it's a it's a very desirable. Uh, cryptographic property that significantly increases the security of SSL and TLS. Um, it's it's highly recommended now in the TLS 1.2 days and, and required in the TLS 1.3 days. So tell me, how do people follow you or get more information? Can you give us your socials? I know you've you recently joined Twitter. Um, how can yeah. they get a lot more? I mean, I know you've got a lot of free content on your website, so don't you want to pull that up and um, just yeah. tell us about, a bit about your social, um, you know, where, where can people um, interact with you? Because I'm pretty sure, sure people are going to have a lot of questions. So my website is probably the easiest to get a hold of me, practicalnetworking.net. I've published a bunch of information about network engineering, network security. Um, actually, David, I feel like I need to give you some congratulations. Uh, you just won <laughs> the Cisco uh, IT Blog Awards for the video category. And so did you for uh, the blog, yeah. I did for the blog. Yeah, I have congratulations, David. Make sure to you. Uh, you celebrate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so the website, practicalnetworking.net, that's, that's me. I just started on Twitter. I think I have like 10 followers. I literally created the account like two weeks ago. So can Actually everyone please follow Ed on Twitter? Let's get that growing. Come on. YouTube is probably where I do most of the publishing. I, I kind of started doing more on YouTube about a year and a half ago. I'm in the middle of working on a, uh, an OSBF deep dive series. So if you're interested in OSBF, 
Um, but if you want more kind of crypto and TLS related stuff, I would point you towards this playlist, which is actually, it's the first two modules of my course for free. Uh, if you jump on this, it, it'll unpack kind of the, the foundation of what the course goes into. Where do you get the course? Oh yeah, I'll, the I'll course, put a link below. good question. I mean, um, how much is it? And can we give them a, can we give my viewers a special deal? Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the course, to get details about the course, it's pracnet.net slash TLS. Yeah. If you hit enter, you'll, you'll see the actual kind of content of, of the course and, and some information about what the course will, will teach. Uh, normally the course is available for, for 300 bucks for $297. But uh, for you and your followers, David, we're going to, we're going to generate a coupon uh, to, to make it available for, for 50 bucks. So that, that information right. will be uh, in the description. Brilliant. So enjoy, uh, and definitely come join me in the course. There's a Discord that we can talk through things. And if you have questions, I'm, I'm here for you guys as well. So full disclosure, I will get an affiliate fee if you do buy that. But, you know, if you don't just, you don't want to give me affiliate fee, I don't, I don't mind just go and buy it directly from Ed's website and support him. Ed, I really thank you, you know, for sharing this kind of knowledge. <laughs> that, that was brilliant. Oh, I sure. really enjoyed it. So thanks so much. This was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity, David. Hopefully uh, we'll get some more, more sessions in if, if more questions come in. Yeah, definitely. I uh, really want to get you back. So, Ed, thanks. Yeah.